Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and I must be an international man of mystery given the theme music. Today, we're going to be talking with Christian Sendler, who is the CTO and co-founder of a company called Giraffe. Christian, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm healthy. The family's healthy. Our, our, our team is healthy. So there's, uh, there's not too much more I can ask for at this point in time. And you are, you, are in, you are in the home office in downtown New York City. I uh, am. Yes? I am in, yes, Hell's Kitchen, New York, um, in the, what I guess is the, uh, the current epicenter of everything. have been here uh, uh, well, lived in New York now for five years, but um, have, have stayed in New York throughout the course of the, uh, the current pandemic and uh, taking it day by day and making the most of some small living quarters, but finding good routine in all of this, or at least trying to. So, so introduce yourself. Um, um, I'm sure, I'm sure that's the right place to start. Tell us about Christian. Sure. Um, so, so as you mentioned, I am the co-founder and CTO of Giraffe. Um, Giraffe is, is obviously, uh, given the theme of the show, an HR tech startup. Uh, we were founded last year uh, and have just recently, over the course of the last six weeks, um, brought our first major release to market. Uh, in the people analytics and insight space and are very excited for that. I think it's certainly uh, a product and, and a solution that has become even more timely given the current conditions. Um, and very excited to, to, to be here today and, uh, and and talk to you a little more about that and, and that journey. So, so how'd you get here? The, you know, the, um, um, the idea that you'd want to start an HR tech company is not something that people start dreaming about in the sandbox when they're six years old. Um, how did you come to do this? Um, I think, I think very few of us are lucky to, to, to really know exactly where we will end up with our careers at a young age. Um, but, um, you know, myself personally, I've always been someone, you know, loved Legos as a kid and, and, and building and creating things and, you know, was, was, I also like to talk and, and, you know, grew up thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go to law school, become an attorney. I was a bit of an argumentative child, I guess you could say. And my, my parents will vouch for that. Um, but about halfway through my, my undergrad experience, um, I realized that was just not the path for me, uh, that, that I wanted to be on. I think, um, had a bit of an awakening there and, and started to get involved with some computer science programs and, and really enthralled by the enthralled by the growing startup scene in Boston at the time. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just was absolutely smitten with it and, and wanted to spend time there. I, you know, moved shortly, you know, after graduation into the technology uh, consulting space, doing software implementations and the like, working with, HRIS systems, ATS systems, ERP, EPM. It's the consulting world. There's more acronyms than, than you could imagine. But working with enterprise-grade software, um, you know, really right out of undergrad and spent a number of years doing that. Um, and, and as a part of that maturation in, in a role like that, um, you know, you're, you're, you end up working with teams that are very tight-knit, um, often working very short timelines uh, with, with very, very high expectations and, and often low budgets. And so that team dynamic became something of, of increasing importance and, and focus for me uh, was, you know, how do we shape and consistently shape, you know, teams that 
are engaged, are fulfilled, and, you know, are high-performing, um, you know, in and of themselves and was, was struggling to, to really find consistency in that and, and kind of through all of these software implementations, you know, you, you realize how much data the enterprise generates. Um, it's, it's really unfathomable, especially when you're looking at financials and sales processes and customer acquisition. Um, but realized when it came to HR data, uh, in particular, you had a lot of information on people logistics and a lot of information on compliance. But, but the insights in terms of, well, how do people like to work? What unique skills do they bring to the table? What skills are they looking to better? You know, what are their behavioral traits? How do they work on a team? Um, realized there was, a, there was an inherent gap in the space, and it was something that was really giraffe as an idea and, you know, running a company that is, in some parts an assessment company, but, but more broadly a, a people analytics company, um, you know, was, was something really needed and, and was solving a personal pain point for me. And we found that it's a pain point for a lot of folks in the industry. So Giraffe, what a crazy name mm-hmm. for a company. Right? Help me connect the Giraffe to, to the business that you're in. Well, you know, Giraffe is, Giraffe was born out of the taglines. I think we, we, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't not deal with the uh, the puns at hand. We have, you know, gain a new perspective on talent, stick your neck out, rise above the rest, um, you know, all geared with a focus towards uh, gaining a new perspective and, and extracting new insights related to your people data. Um, and so the giraffe just was a, was, was a fun and approachable icon for that brand and ultimately represented sort of a, a brand ethos we, we wanted to put out there, which was something fun, accessible, you know, meaningful, um, but nothing that took itself too seriously. Got it. Got it. So, so let's get let's get to the basics. What are, what does Giraffe do? I, I think I think I've always sort of seen you as an assessment company, but you're you're making this case that you're more of a people analytics and insight company. So, so what is the mm-hmm. basic thing? So, so at the core, um, there are a series of assessments we offer. Um, which includes behavioral assessments, which many folks in the HR space will be certainly familiar with. Um, we, we have a, a special formula for ours, which I you know, would love to touch on. Um, but assessments are a part of what we do. Um, ultimately, it is a, a platform that extracts insights related to the behavioral traits, the skills, both vocational and technical, the ways of working preferences and values, the, the L&D goals of the individual, um, and brings all that information together for the organization um, and allows everyone, um, you know, we, we, we really encourage radical transparency with this data um, at an organization to, you know, ultimately allow everyone to, to tap into that information and, uh, and break it down, analyze it, um, to ultimately make better decisions for, for themselves, but also better teaming decisions, hiring decisions, um, you know, keep their talent strategy aligned with their operational strategy, which is certainly, you know, I know you've spoken on this before, but something that a lot of organizations struggle to do um, is, is keep that adaptable and keep that in flux. And we're certainly seeing that right now as, you know, the dynamics of work change unbelievably rapidly. So, so the core of this then is an assessment or a series of assessments, and then you are able to make some prognostication from those assessments. Or give, give me a give me a deeper look at the at the ground mm-hmm. layer here. 
Sure. Um, so we have we do have a behavioral assessment. Um, what what really makes that stand out is the length and duration. I think many folks will be familiar with um, you know the the current state of the assessment market. Uh, these are often things that take a while to ramp up to. They can take an individual employee between 30 minutes to an hour to complete. Um, and then you're waiting, you know, a week or two for results to come back so that you actually have data to work with. And by, by the time the results have come back, uh, the data is already going stale because these behavioral insights are, are always changing. Um, and so we took a, a radically different approach to this assessment and have gotten it down to something that can be completed well under 10 minutes um, with the same, if not more accuracy in terms of the results. Um, it is um, significantly less questions and the data is instantaneously available um, upon completion and can also be uh, sent out with little to no ramp time uh, or, or configuration time for the platform. All you need to do is, is be sharing the link and inviting people into the platform and, and they're up and running and good to go. Um, and so that's kind of the cornerstone of what we offer. We, we also offer a number of different pulse and engagement surveys around ways of working. Um, and then this all kind of finds its way into a profile for the individual employee that, can, that helps to bring and digitize their resume and, and more traditional data points that we've had or at least exist in LinkedIn. But generally speaking, internally to a company, um, they're not really stored anywhere. And, and the real power of Giraffe is then that we bring all of these different dimensions together um, into a profile for the individual, into composite views for the team um, or a department and the entire org and allow you to really break those, those analytics and data points down by things like department role level or compare individuals, compare individuals versus team or compare teams against each other to really get granular about, you know, what success looks like at your organization. So is that success of an individual inside of the organization, or is there an aspect of this that has to do with the structure of teams? It's, it's, it's a little bit of both. I think we, we, we really position Giraffe as a multi-tool, um, similar to how you may view a platform like a Slack or Notion or Trello, for example, in which there is a core function it does, which is extract these data points and insights and present them to um, whoever throughout an organization very readily. But in terms of what you can do with it, um, we, we, we certainly have a few scripts that we, you know, help, you know, implement in the platform and, and use cases and workflows that we have built in. But we see a lot of our customers using this in, in a lot of different ways. So it can be facilitating one-on-ones between a manager and one of their direct reports and, and gaining more insights and making those conversations more impactful for the employee. Um, we see organizations uh, having incoming hires take the assessment and take their results and overlay them against, you know, the two or three department scores that um, they interact with or would be interacting with most heavily. Um, we also see people creating L&D uh, roadmaps and journeys that are tailored to not just a department or a team, but specifically to the individual and what their goals are um, and what unique things they want to bring, you know, to the organization and um, improve. So, so give me a couple of bullet points about precisely what makes you different from the kajillion other assessment companies. In a nutshell, what's the difference? 
Yeah, um, I you know this is this is a good question because there there is some noise in this space. Um, there are a lot of point solutions that try to tackle behavioral insights, but you know to to what we kind of just were were speaking to. I think the primary differentiator here is that you know we are not just an assessment company. Um, the assessment is, is obviously a critical part of the insights we provide, but um, the one thing that, you know, is really missing in the space and that we bring to the table is this holistic view. It brings many more data points ultimately to the table um, and provides, you know, real-time and dynamic analytics, um, which is something with behavioral assessments. Um, there's often these professional services, uh, you know, line items tagged on to the process of unpacking the results and, you know, there's time to prepare and share and, you know, the, the re-engagement potential with, with the assessment is, um, is, is usually not there. Um, and, and so we, we really kind of flip that model on its head, um, you know, to provide real-time insights, um, dynamic data to the organization and allow for the potential of re-engagement without uh, these long ramp times. It's, it's something the organization themselves can, can facilitate um, and, and really run on their own. We try and build the training and insights you know, directly into the platform um, so that as you're using, you're getting smarter about, you know, your own people management skills. So um, what are the ethical issues involved in this from your perspective? Well, I think, you know, one of the biggest ones, um, which we've, we've seen a lot of news coverage on, John, I know you've written on this, but is, is AI um, and the use of AI. Um, I think ultimately, uh, we're at an interesting crossroads with how HR as a function leverages HI and, and how that or, uh, AI and how that uh, how that will evolve. Um, and, it, and it has to do with um, you know kind of something you've coined, which is this partnership versus decision making um, model. And um, ultimately, we've seen a lot of companies really push the bounds of what AI can do in the HR space. Um, but they've unfortunately created some of these these black box scenarios where where you don't really understand what's going on behind the scenes. And so we've taken a much more kind of collaborative approach when we leverage AI and as we continue to leverage AI and ML and, you know, natural language processing within our platform, you know, is to have it be a partner to the, the user of the platform, extracting insights, combing through more data than an individual can, but still leaving the decision-making in the hands of the individual. And so I think that's something a lot of platforms in the HR space um, are going to be grappling with, uh, you know, over the coming years. So one of the, one of the things that I, that I think about when I talk to people who are doing similar things to you um, mm-hmm. is that the idea of pigeonholing people into little boxes so that decisions can be made out of them is a, is is actually a pretty significant ethical question. How do you know mm-hmm. if you've got that right? Um, how do you think about the consequences of somebody, somebody being labeled X when they're right on the line between X and Y? Um, um, because that's that thing that you run into when you build labeling machines like this is is that people get somewhere in the process, there are people who get labeled incorrectly and that's got a big deal consequence for them. So how do you think about that? How do you think about making this safe for the people who take it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something really important to us. Um, 
in, in the construction of all of our surveys, um, you know, most, most prevalently the behavioral, you know, insights and, 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 and assessment, uh, you know, we, we have worked with a, a community of uh, neuropsych and clinical psych uh, PhDs to ensure that we are being as non-directional as possible, that we are, you know, that, that there's value in the insights and that ultimately there's, there's meaning in it uh, without, uh, in a, you know, inadvertently labeling someone in a way that may have a negative connotation, you know, at their organization or, or in the context of their work. And so, you know, we're, we're very conscientious at, at the outset when we design features, uh, you know, for the product uh, and leveraging a broad community there to avoid, you know, the issues of bias that can arise um, when, when developing. More specifically in terms of, you know, how do we avoid labels that, that you know, may pigeonhole individuals and, and may cast type them in some sense. And, you know, that comes back to the dynamic nature of the behavioral traits um, and the dynamic nature of our platform. I know I've said that word a lot in the course of, you know, our conversation thus far, but the, the re-engagement side is, is I think what helps that because ultimately one person is not one set. You know, we, we use eight traits. Uh, are kind of the output, all of which are, you know, positive traits such as structured, adaptable, strategic, creative, um, you know, everything has a positive to it. Um, and they're, they, they all add value in their own ways, um, but they change. No, no one person is always this one set of traits in perpetuity. Uh, as they learn new skills, try out new roles, get interested in different things, they change and evolve. And as the context in which they're working changes, these things evolve. And so um, by keeping our survey short, accessible, and building in natural re-engagement and update points, uh, so we provide the ability for organizations to specify an interval um, that they want their employees to retake the survey. Um, and so they can see the trends and evolution at the individual level and at the team level. Um, and so I think that, that, that inherently just the, the usage of the platform in and of itself helps prevent that. So, so I picked up the idea somewhere along the way that you guys believe that the core driver in work is meaning, um, mm -hmm. meaning and contribution impact the product values of the company like that. Um, do you think that that holds true after uh, the pandemic? You know, before the pandemic, you could make the case that meaning was important because there was a shortage of workers. That isn't going to be a problem that we have for decades, probably, as a result of this thing. And so, and so people are going to be taking jobs to have money, not to have meaning. Meaning, is a, meaning it strikes me, is a luxury that comes after money rather than, than before in terms of job choice. So do you think, do you think this idea that work is uh, the important part of work is meaning is still true? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely and fundamentally, I mean, you're, you're looking at sort of a Maslow's hierarchy thing. And I, and I think you're spot on to say, you know, we're, look, we're, we're, we're facing record unemployment today. And um, what people are looking for in work most immediately uh, in the short term is going to change. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people don't want to derive meaning from their work. You know, I think every one of us does. And, and we all find different meaning in the context in which we work. Um, but I think one, one factor that may bring us back or, or shift the power dynamic back to 
some semblance of where it was before, because we're certainly seeing a swing away from the employees being in the driver's seat and now the employers holding a lot of the power uh, given the market conditions. But, you know, one thing, if you could call it a silver lining, and, and I think to some extent it is of this whole situation, is the very rapid acceleration of this trajectory of remote work. And I think for many industries that we're holding out, um, it has proven that, you know, remote work is a thing and it's going to be here and it's going to be here uh, forever. Uh, this is, you know, fundamentally changed that, that paradigm. And what, what that means is that for many organizations on the other side of this, the geographical constraints that existed before are no longer there. Um, so I think we may even see a, a quicker uptick in terms of applicant volume and, and competitiveness in the labor market because of that, because no longer do you need everyone moving and living in a city like New York in order to run your business. I think we've, we've started to prove that that is far from a necessity. And people aren't going to want to work that way, um, especially around big cities. So I think to some extent we will see that shift back, which, which gives more space for companies to really need to focus on some of those things that are higher up in the, uh, in the Maslow's hierarchy of need for, for the employee, which meaning is a very important one in, in my opinion. Well, that's, that's interesting. I think there are probably multiple perspectives to be taken on that. I, I, I am sure. hearing broadly that that what's liable to happen next is a retrenchment of all of the globalization right? because you really can't predict the infrastructure in big country X with cheap workforce Y. And so so those those jobs and the requirement for people to do those jobs comes back into national borders um, all over the place. Uh, and um, that might argue a little bit against the idea that there's going to be a, uh, a instantaneous radical shift to decentralized work. Because when you, when you start to do something that somebody else used to do, you need to be close to it to get it right, I think. I don't know, um, but but I, I think you know when I think about this question of meaning, I think about my grandfather who lived who lived in North Canton, Ohio, and walked a mile down the alley behind his house to the Hoover vacuum cleaner plant where he put vacuum cleaner belts on vacuum cleaners for forty years without ever missing a day of work, mm -hmm. and it's it's. Um, it's hard to imagine the meaning in that job. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's impossible for me to, 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 to see the meaning in putting the belts on vacuum cleaners at the end of the assembly line. Uh, but for him, his meaning came from the walk down the alley and the um, relationship he had with his kids. And, and so, so, so I'm not, particularly persuaded that meaning is something that comes from work. I, I think that's a, that's, that's a novel idea of privilege, generally speaking. And um, um, we, we may or may not be seeing it coming along, but if, if meaning is not essential to work, does giraffe still have a place in the world? You know, I think I think 
to, to your point, John, you know, meaning is, is purpose and, and it's very much derived by the context. And, and that can be meaning, you know, in the sense of the, the, the individual work I do, the contributions I make at work, or it can be meaning in terms of I work to fulfill these other things and support my family and make sure that I have time in the day to spend with my kids or uh, pursue the hobbies and things that I find, you know, that I am passionate about. But I think, you know, ultimately, when, when employers are able to understand the whys of, you know, the values their employees kind of, you know, ultimately hold sacred, um, and the the reasons why they engage with work and to some extent tap into that and make sure that they're facilitating a culture around the ways of working that aligns with that at an individual level. Um, the organization is going to be more successful. The, the individual is going to be happier with the work that they are doing um, and the work that they have to do um, in, in, in many instances. And so I think that benefits everyone. And I, you know, that is ultimately what we enable organizations to see. So, you know, irrespective of the, uh, of, of, you know, the, the value of, of meaning or, or what, what meaning any one individual finds in their work. Um, I think that giraffe provides, you know, insights into what that is, because there's always some semblance of meaning, um, for, for why we work. And I think if organizations can get better about understanding that at the individual level, um, they're, they're going to build better products. They're going to have a happier workforce. They're going to retain, you know, the talent that, that they need to, to make their business successful. And people are going to be more excited to show up every day. That's great. So let me give you one last question, which is how does a company get ready for the implementation of Kangaroo? What, are, what do you need to do to be there? So, yeah, so, so getting started with your app, um, I think there's, there's certainly, um, you know, some, some steps to take in advance. Um, when we talk about sort of, you know, pre-implementation time, um, you know, starting to align and understand your talent strategy and, and, and how that ebbs and flows with your operation strategy is, is really helpful um, and, and helps set the stage very well for, for an implementation of a product like ours. Um, and second to that, we, we ask a lot of our customers to, to take a hard look at, at, at their teams and to try and find teams that are, you know, seeing above average metrics and KPIs when it comes to things like retention rate or, or output or productivity uh, or team satisfaction and, and, and start with them because they make a very good baseline to understand and really get granular about, you know, what, what success looks like, not just at your organization, which I think organizations are getting better about understanding that, but specifically, you know, a senior product manager working on this niche of your product what does success look like? And, and, and starting to, to craft those pictures earlier on is, is really helpful. So there's, there's a bit of, you know, um, activity we, we like organizations to do before they ramp, but once they're ultimately provisioned on the product, um, you're, you're good to go. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the training and, and information you need to use the product effectively is, is, is built in. And, and if there's any questions, you know, our team is there along the way to provide information and advice and, and, and tips on usage. And if you want to dive in a little more before you send things out, we, we offer the ability to do some configuration and customization of, of the tool. Um, but none of that's necessary. Um, and what's really cool, mm -hmm. and I think for, for many who have used assessments in the past, um, you know, the, the participation and engagement rate is always a, a pain point 
Um, and, and one really great thing we found with our, our product and platform is that for most of our customers, they're seeing critical massive responses within a week, um, which means that from the, the email or notification or announcement at an all-hands meeting that we're going to be using this platform and we want people to start engaging with it to having meaningful data and insights that the organization and individuals can start using it. It's happening in just a couple of days, um, which is, which is a big shift um, from what we're, what we're used to seeing um, in this category. And so um, the implementation process is, you know, we, we, we really, really, really value that first mile customer experience and, and want to make sure now more than ever, we can get this in the hands of as many people as possible. That's fantastic. So, so we're coming up to the end of time here. Um, any final thoughts? You know, I think um, this has been this has been fantastic, and and, and John, I, I do really appreciate you uh, you allowing me to uh, to share our story with with your listeners. And you know, one piece of advice that is that is really you know stuck with me, or that I've arrived at, you know, for for anyone you know kind of leading an organization uh, or or working as a co-founder at this really unprecedented time is it's it's very easy to keep your head down. In fact, we're generally, and I find this myself running from fire to fire, trying to, uh, you know, keep things afloat and, you know, keep things moving in the right direction. But now more than ever, it can be really helpful to, you know, pick your head up uh, and, and, and observe and listen both to your people, what they need, you know, what, 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 what they're doing to innovate their position in these new, you know, working conditions. Um, and also what's happening at a macro level, um, you know, in crisis comes some of the best innovation. And so, you know, the companies that are going to be really successful on the other side of this and, and the people that are going to find a lot of fulfillment on the other side of this, you know, will be those who have taken those moments, uh, not to mention the benefits it has on your own, you know, mental well-being and health. So um, just one little observation I found that's been unbelievably helpful for me in these times, and hopefully that resonates with a couple of your listeners. That, that's fantastic. So take a moment and reintroduce yourself, please. Yep. Um, so my name is Christian Semler. I am the uh, co-founder and CTO of Giraffe. And um, if any of these you know, messages and stories you know, resonate with you or you'd like to learn more, uh, or you happen to be a coffee geek or wino, I am a, would love to chat with you on any of those things. Uh, and you can reach me at Christian at HireGiraffe, H-I-R-E, Giraffe.com, uh, or find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'd, I'd love to connect and, and learn about your stories. Thanks so much, Christian. It's been, a, it's been a good conversation. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Christian Sendler, who is the CTO and co-founder at Giraffe. You can find them at HireGiraffe.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and we will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. 